Hey guys, how we doing? Yeah, well, welcome to Encounter. If it's your first time, we're so glad you're here. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Joe Dernal, and I'm the Associate Campus Minister here at CSF. Um, and so as we're kind of beginning this new season of ministry at CSF, uh, especially in this semester, um, we wanted to focus on what's important, right? The character of God. Who is this God that we serve? What is he like? Ben, our lead campus minister, spoke a few weeks ago about the difference between doubting God's character and doubting his methodology. Um, something that we all do is doubt God's methodology sometimes. It just doesn't make sense why he does the things he does the way he does them. Um, but doubting his character is something very different, right? If you don't trust his character, it makes it near impossible to move forward in pursuing uh, a relationship with him. And so we wanted to start off right and talk about what is the character of God? Who is this God like? So this is the verse we've been studying. It's Exodus 34. It should be up on the screen. So the Lord, the Lord, and this is God describing himself to Moses um, in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so there are five attributes of God there. Um, we've been taking a week on each of them. And tonight I get to talk to you about what it means to say that God is slow to anger, which is super fun. So we're going to get into that in just a second. Um, but before we start, I just want to pray really quick. And so I'm going to ask you guys if you would just pray silently for the message uh, that God would speak through me and that I would be helpful to you. So you'll do that and then I'll wrap us up when we get started. So Jesus, thank you for this space that we have to gather and to worship you and to learn more about who you are um, and what you're calling us into. Uh, God, be with me as I speak tonight, that I would speak your words and that I would be uh, helpful and that my words um, would land to whoever they need to land to. So, Lord, be, be with me and be with the rest of this night. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Guys, I've got bad news. All right. What an awful way to start a sermon. I got bad news. Something is wrong with us. And we all feel it, right? In varying degrees, you feel it. I feel it sometimes. Something is wrong with us. We feel broken. This world feels broken, and we find ourselves indulging in the things of this world, and it makes us feel inadequate, incomplete, and far from God. Now, don't lose me here, because I'm about to say something uh, a bit crazy. Our culture wants to say, you do your, you, do you. be yourself. Uh, anything you feel, do that. And, and yet, and I'm not saying that those don't have value. Those sentiments have some value, right? God did create us, and he does love us. But if we're going to try and just be ourselves, we will be worse off than where we started because of our inherent brokenness. Let me back up and explain the counterculture, the countercultural picture that the Bible gives us. You and me, we were created perfect in the image of God. God called humanity good when he made us at the beginning of time. But we're broken because of sin. And sin just means it's it's a Christian-y word, but it just means we have chosen to go outside of God because we think we know what is good. And we want, to just, we want to define good and evil for ourselves. And so we miss the mark constantly of what God has said is good. And so because we're broken because of sin, um, we need a Savior. God designed us to be partners with him, but we choose to rebel against him continually over and over again. And yet even in our sinful nature, he desires to be in relationship with you and with me. He loves us, and he sent his son Jesus to pay the debt we owe so that we could be made right with him. 
This is the story, uh, the larger story of the Bible. And, and this is the beauty of the gospel, which I will get back to later. But how does God's anger fit into that story, right? Like lots of questions probably come up when I say that. Um, something like, how, you know, how could a loving God be angry? Or if God is angry, why would he even want to save me in the first place? Or like, isn't God just like waiting to strike me down if I do something wrong, right? Like those are maybe the questions that we have. And yeah, when I talk about anger, right, like there's so much baggage that can come with that because of human brokenness, right? We don't handle our anger well. And so uh, sometimes it can be directly equated to evil. Um, But anger is not evil. Anger is a tool, right? It's a lot like fire. Um, Fire is a tool. And I wouldn't light a fire here, right, by Carter, right? Like that would be bad. That would hurt Carter. That would burn the house down. It would be really sad, guys. Um, But I would light a fire in the fireplace back there. Because in the right context, when it's used right, fire can bring light, it can bring life, and it can bring warmth to a room. And so I think it's just important to establish, right, anger is not evil. Anger is a tool. Um, and it all determines on, it all depends on how we use it. And so as we talk about how God is slow to anger, as we explore that theme, I got three places I want to go tonight just for my note takers. This is where I'm going. All right, I'm a note taker, so I feel for you. Um, number one, what does it mean to say that God is angry or that someone is slow to anger? Number two, how is our anger different and yet also somewhat similar to God's? And then number three, what does it mean to, when God's anger is revealed? Right, that's kind of a, yeah, we'll get there. So to start, what gets translated as slow to anger is the Hebrew phrase, Eric Apayim, which I am sure that I am mispronouncing, but none of you speak Hebrew, so it's fine. Um, And translated literally, uh, this means long of nose, which is a really weird thing to say. How does that relate to patience, right? Yeah, Pinocchio, exactly. Thanks, guys. Uh, Look at that. (laughs) And so to understand what this phrase means and the context around it, we have to look at how anger is described in the the Bible at large. Uh, Typically, when someone gets angry in the Bible, it's translated as their anger burned. Or if you translate that literally, It's often their nose burned hot, which is another weird thing to say. But if you think about it, the biblical authors are trying to convey the physical phenomenon that happens when we get angry, right? Like you see red, your face gets red, it gets hot because of the adrenaline and the blood that's pumping to your face. And so if we put two and two together, if you have a long nose, then it takes a long time for your nose to heat up. And this is, so this is where we get, it's a very roundabout way to get there, but we, this is how we get um, the character trait that God is slow to anger. He's patient. His nose is very long, but he's not Pinocchio. He's not a liar. Anyway, um, an example of this is actually found in Proverbs uh, 16, 32, which says, better a patient person, or one with a long nose, if you translate that literally, better a person with a long nose than a warrior. Um, and so even though God probably doesn't have a nose and he probably doesn't get hot, this is how the biblical authors describe him so that we can understand his anger and relate to it. Okay, so God has a long nose. That's cool. Um, Let's move on and talk about the similarities and the differences between our anger and God's. So first, God's anger is reactionary. And really, anger at large is reactionary. There is never a person that is just angry for no reason. Anger always rises up out of a response to our situations. So for example, right, who saw The Batman last year? That movie that came out, Rob Pat? Come on. It was pretty good. Not as good as The Dark Knight, let's be real. But it was still good, all right? 
why is Batman so edgy and angry in that movie? Like, I don't, you know, like, if you don't know Batman, it doesn't make sense. But if you've been a fan of Batman since you were four years old, like myself, you would know that this anger stems from the fact that his parents were murdered when he was a kid. Uh, and he feels the natural crushing conviction to avenge them every night in a bat suit, which is totally normal. Um, but uh, we're the same as God in this department. Whenever we see God get angry, there is always a reason. One of the first times we're told that God is angry in the Bible is during the story of the golden calf, which, if you're unfamiliar, long story short, God's people break their promise to him. He asks them to be his people, and they say, no thanks, we're good. They break a promise that they've made to him, and it makes God angry. It, it says his anger burned. His nose got hot, right? Uh, and so anytime, well, actually, that story brings me to my second point, which is that anger reveals what we care about. Anger reveals what we care about. So anytime we get angry about anything, it reveals the things that we value the most deeply. Um, following that example in the golden calf story, we see when we see God get angry with his people for breaking the promise they had made, what that shows me is that, oh, God cares about relational intimacy and commitment from his people. That's what he cares about. Um, and so in the same way, right, Batman cares about justice because we see him get angry when people break the law, um, among other things, right? His anger is not perfect, but, um, but it shows us what he cares about. And so lastly, and this is how our anger is different from God's, right? God's anger is perfect, and our anger is polluted. God's anger is perfect, and ours is polluted. Because of our sin, our anger is always polluted in some way by our selfishness, or our pride, or our lust, or our jealousy, or any of our other sinful desires. This is why our view of anger as a society is so fractured, in my opinion. And I don't blame anyone for seeing anger in a negative light because there's never been a human being to perfectly control their anger 100% of the time except for Jesus Christ. And I'll get to him in just a second. But again, I want to emphasize anger is a tool. It's like fire, right? And God is the only one that can actually judge justly in his anger. Okay, so we've established what it means to say that God is angry in the Hebrew, right? We looked at that phrase and how our experience of anger is similar and yet also different from God's. And now I want to talk about what it means to say that God's anger is being revealed. What does that mean? So, like, God is patient. Yes, we've established he has a long nose, super long, all right? He's very, very, very patient, and he gives us way more opportunities to change than we deserve. But sometimes he does get angry, right? And what happens when that happens? So to, to illustrate this, I want us to imagine, and just follow me here, I want us to imagine our life as a train, okay? And we're moving forward. In Ephesians, um, which is in the New Testament, it's the letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 2, and in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that all of us are by nature deserving of God's wrath. Like, without even doing anything, because of original sin, we could get into that. But um, we are inherently moving towards God's anger uh, yeah, we're, we're moving towards the consequences of our own actions and our own sinful desires. Now, sometimes God, or yeah, sometimes scripture tells us that God enacts his justice in tangible ways. Um, sometimes it'll say God's anger burns, so he brought an earthquake or a plague due to his anger, right? But way far more often, far and away more often, if you study what anger looks like in the Bible, God gives people over 
to the consequences of their actions. He says, if you want to go and sin and do this thing I told you not to do, I will let you deal with the consequences of it. Um, God will allow the train of our life, right? He'll allow that train to continue in its path towards death, both in the short term and in the long term. And, and so just so we can practically get a grasp, a grasp on this, I want to just give you a few examples, right? So like if, if I chose tonight to go out and like get super hammered drunk, which God says is a sin, right? What God will do is he'll say, okay, and I will be addicted to sinful behaviors in this world, right? If we want to indulge immoral sexual desires, God will give us over to the consequence to where we cannot experience true emotional intimacy with another person. Or if we want to say things that we shouldn't or speak poorly about other people, God will give us over to that, and we will ruin and destroy our closest friendships. And honestly, those results are really bad, but it's actually worse in the long term. Because when we continually choose to sin, we will have to pay the debt that we are incurring in eternity. God will deliver us into what we choose, even if it means we will spend eternity apart from him. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. When God's anger is expressed, he will allow us to continue on the track that we are already on. And if we refuse to admit our need for a savior, he will honor that decision and give us over to the consequences of what we are choosing. Okay, I promise that encounter is actually really fun, okay? This is like super grim, um, but I just want to emphasize the point, right? Like, we are broken, and if we continue to choose to be in broken behavior, God will honor that decision, and he will give us over into that. And this is why the story of Jesus Christ is so important to every Christian. We have sinned and fallen short of the standard that God has put in place, and we have absolutely no chance of making ourselves right in God's eyes. And this is why God sent his son Jesus to, pray, to pay the price that our sin demands. He came, he came to stand in our place and endure the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. When I was thinking through this concept about, you know, how Jesus would stand in our place, right? Um, I thought of the story about Barabbas and Jesus, which um, is a story uh, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was brought before a Roman governor named Pilate. Um, the chief priests and the people wanted to condemn Jesus to execution, and this is how we see the story played out in Matthew 27. Now, it was the, gusto, uh, the, customers, the governor's custom, there we go, uh, at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas, which that's an interesting thing. I'll come back to that, but so when this crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd 
to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What sin, or I'm sorry, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all of the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. What's interesting here is that both men are actually named Jesus. Uh, maybe your translation has that, maybe it doesn't. Um, but Barabbas, if you translate it literally, it actually just means son of the father. In Hebrew, you would say Barabbas, son of the father. So you have Jesus on one hand, who is the son of God, and you have Jesus, who is the son of the father, right? And they stand next to each other. One represents God, and one represents a sinful and rebellious humanity. One has rebelled and committed murder, and one has faithfully done his father's will. Another interesting note here is that the same word that gets translated as handed him over at the end of that uh, passage is the same word that, that Paul uses in Romans 1, like we looked at earlier, right? So instead of handing us over to the consequences of our sin, the plan that God set in motion was for Jesus to allow himself to be handed over to the wrath and punishment that we deserve in our place. Although Jesus was innocent, he puts himself in the place of the guilty man. You and I are that guilty man. Barabbas represents us. We have rebelled, we have sinned, and we deserve death and punishment as a result. And yet, Jesus took our place and allowed himself to be handed over to the wrath of the Father in our place, in your place, in my place. Because of our sin, you and I deserve to die and spend eternity after death apart from God. But, be, but the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to. We don't have to. Jesus came to this earth to endure the punishment that you and I deserved so that we could be made right with the Father. That's the gospel. Gospel just means good news. That word just means good news. And isn't that amazing news that Jesus came and died so that we could be made right with God? Yeah. Thanks, Ben. So, if we profess our faith in the saving work of Jesus, God picks up the train of our life, right? That example from earlier. We're on the track to bad stuff, okay? And he picks us up and he puts us on a new track that goes in the opposite direction. We no longer have to move towards death and separation from the love of God. Uh, again, Paul says, this is being made alive with Christ. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, right? We, we have no ability to save ourselves. And he comes in and he makes us alive again when we believe in him. And now we are no longer slaves to the sin that once held us down. So, the truth is that God would not be good if he didn't get angry at sin. And we struggle with this as a culture. But just like a judge wouldn't be just if they didn't condemn wrongdoing with punishment, God would not be good if he didn't get angry at sin and enact justice sometimes. But because of his long nose, God gives us more chances than we deserve to turn around and change our behaviors. Our anger resembles his in that it is reactionary and it reveals what we care about the most, but we are different from him in that our anger is imperfect 
because of sin. It's always going to be polluted. God is the only one who judges justly in his anger. When God does get angry, he delivers people into the consequences of their own choices, all the way to death and eternal separation from his love. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, this doesn't have to be the end of our story. Driven by his love and compassion, God made a way for us to be right with him through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. There's a book called Gentle and Lowly, and it's, I'm sure it's a great book. I have not finished it, to be honest with you guys, okay? But I skimmed it, okay? I skimmed it. And there's a quote, all right? There's a quote, and I want to share with you this quote because I feel like it really represents what I'm trying to say here. So I'll read it for you. It's not on the screen, but you'll just have to follow along, all right? The Lord is long-nosed. He doesn't have his finger on the trigger. It takes much accumulated provoking to draw out his ire. Unlike us, who are often like emotional dams ready to break, God can put up with a lot. This is why the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people dozens of times. But not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation, and his mercy is pent forth and ready to gush out to you and me. Um, the, so the other four attributes that we're looking at in this series tell us about who God is, right? But slow to anger tells us how God responds because of who he is. Because he is compassionate, because he is gracious, because he is full of love and faithfulness. It follows then that he is slow to anger. It's because of his deep love for us that he is patient with us. The psalmist says it this way, Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That's Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. His anger lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. If you grew up in church, but maybe you never have taken your faith seriously or thought about what it means not to just say you're a Christian, but to actually act like you're a Christian, Please talk to me, talk to another staff member, uh, talk to a student leader tonight. We want to help you pursue your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you've never experienced the love and the grace that Jesus offers, and you want to know more about following him. Again, please talk to a staff member. Please talk to a student leader. Um, our mission at CSF is to help you pursue your faith and build your community. And we would love to talk with you about how the gospel can absolutely turn your life upside down tonight. So guys, the bottom line is this. God is extremely patient. Like, stupid patient. Like, shouldn't be that patient, but he is. Um, but when he does get angry, let's thank him for his long nose and for sending his son who took the punishment that we deserve. Um, pray with me. God, thank you so much for all that you do um, and just, yeah, who you are. God, I pray that this group of people would know you for who you truly are, not just who we want you to be or who we think you are, um, but God, for who you actually are. God, thank you for being slow to anger and for taking the punishment that I deserve and that we deserve so that I could be made right with you, so that we could have right relationship with you again. God, I pray for the souls of everybody in here that they would come to know you more um, 
as a result of being around believers. Um, yeah, God, reveal yourself to us um, as we go out of here. So, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.